You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and we're continuing our series this week on the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. However, I'm going to be talking with somebody whose job does not really involve art. In fact, Nelson Nieves will tell you that he's not that interested in art. However, his job is absolutely essential to keeping the museum running. Curious? Keep listening. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Nelson Nieves. I'm the assistant director for the building operations department as well as the fire and life safety manager for the museum. Okay, what does assistant director for operations mean exactly? Essentially, the role of the assistant director of building operations would be, the best summarize it would be for to try to have all of our guests who walk into this museum walk away with a positive experience. Okay, that's that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah, and the concretely, it means you're sort of running the building or making sure the building keeps running, or what? what is keeps it? Keeps the, the wheels turning. We keep the wheels turning in the museum. And that, when you say the wheels turning, you're talking about staff stuff, like uh, infrastructure. What is it? Everything like? from the air quality, making sure that it's clean, it um, has the relative humidity that's required to maintain the artwork, as well as making sure that the place is clean and appears well, and that... It's also maintained in a safe manner that there's no jagged edges throughout the building, that everything from a clean toilet to making sure that the art looks well put on the wall. That's a that's pretty wide purview. Pretty wide. And so you're overseeing the staff that does that. That's correct. So how, I manage the staff. Yeah, so how many people are working under you? Approximately 150. You've got 150 people running around kind of following your orders, essentially. Absolutely. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Okay, so where does your day start? Like, what time are you up in the morning and what are you doing? Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, in order to meet the objective, which is set not only by anybody here in the museum, it's by the general public. I have to be able to get here before them, catch whatever I can catch, have it corrected so that by the time we open up, they have no idea what was being done. Are you like the first person in the building generally? I or? typically try to get here between 7 and 7.30. Okay. I do have staff that runs 24-7. So to catch them off guard, my hours vary. So You want to ambush your people? Oh, absolutely. Why do you want to ambush I your people? I want to see what they're not doing. Oh, God. You know who used to do that? This is going to be such a weird reference. Teddy Roosevelt used to do that when he was police commissioner in New York. He would literally just, like, skulk around, like, looking to, like, ambush cops. Well, right? they're always like, going to be performing at their peak when I'm around. Yeah. So if they don't know what time I'm coming in, they don't know whether they're going to be relaxing and taking a quick break or they're going to be doing so their the, job. the boss might just come around the corner. Absolutely. Okay, so you, you show up. Big brother's always watching. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you show up between 7 and 7.30 to ambush your people and start getting the day going. Well, to try to make sure that everything is clean. We, yeah. we go in there and we'll do everything from checking underneath the toilet bowls oh God. to making sure that those are clean and disinfected and everything's pristine and that there's no lingering odors or anything like that. You can just imagine. It's not the, the cleanest of jobs or the nicest of jobs, but somebody's got to do it and somebody's got to make sure it's done right. Are you personally going in and doing it? Absolutely. That? I personally go into every public bathroom every morning between the hours of 7 and 9. And we inspect not only the bathrooms, but we also walk every gallery to make sure that every nook and cranny, every crack and crevice, that there's no paper or there's no dust balls or anything of that nature lying around in the corners. So the bathrooms, I mean, have they been cleaned at all by like the overnight step by the time you get there? Correct. Or, or that, that's been? the goal. The goal okay. is presently on the overnight shift, we have someone who does all the cleaning. The hardest or the detail cleaning is done on the overnight crew because that is when the museum is at its emptiest. Yeah. There's nobody here, a very limited crew, and we have the most flexibility to do what needs to get done. When you're there, it's supposed to be clean. Is it most? I, mean, I assume it is mostly. 80 yeah. to 90% of the time, it's clean. Yeah. However, without the lower managers below me no, letting me know if someone was out sick or on vacation, I can typically tell just by the work ethic and the work that's being performed if someone's out. So if there's like a little dust in the bathroom, you know. How bad can it ever be? I guess oh, that's my question. It, my, like, it what, be really What's bad. the worst you're going to walk in and find there? Do I want to know? No. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Believe me, let's just say that there's times, even during the course of the day, you can yeah. just imagine with on average between anywhere between five to 10,000 guests on a, on a relatively medium day, it's a lot of toilet paper being used. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like a really rough way to start the morning. Like that's... It sure is, but I always start with the roughest, and I figured after that my day can't get any worse. <laughs> uh, okay, same shit every the, morning. The like that. Same <laughs> shit every morning. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> sorry, just, okay, so you're on that. They can't get any shittier than that. that. That's Yeah, so you're on that kind of march when you're going through. Are you just telling people clean this, clean that? Or no, what else essentially, what, when I do yeah. my walkthroughs, I'm not yeah. doing it with the frontline staff. Yeah. I'm doing it more with their project manager or their. Ma First of all, the housekeeping services are contracted out. So, therefore, I typically will meet and I'll do my walkthroughs. I try to do them every day with a project manager or supervisor so that they can be corrected mm -hmm. immediately. However, there are times that I like to do them by myself simply because. They're not going to know where I'm at, and I can pop up at any given point. There's three buildings here, soon yeah. to be a fourth. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite a yeah. large complex to try to get around and visit as much as you can on a daily basis. Yeah. And to be clear, we're not just talking about the bathrooms. This point. We're talking about the galleries, we're Absolutely. talking about the whole space. The, the entire, I check everything from gallery spaces to office spaces, mechanical rooms, because it's everything from the air quality to the cleanliness. What are you looking for like in mechanical rooms? Well, in the mechanical rooms, we want to make sure that all the filters are changed periodically, that the belts on the air conditioning units are actually running freely and there's no squeaking, there's nothing holding them back, that the drives are actually working as they should. You're doing checks in the morning, but are, it sounds like you're kind of doing this through the whole day. You're sort of Correct. wondering. You're like very peripatetic. You're just kind of meandering. Sporadically. Okay. Spor very sporadic. And, yeah. and I try not to do the same thing every day. Yeah. So while I may go into mechanical rooms one day, I may not go back into them for weeks or months. But you want the staff to know Absolutely. that you might go in. Absolutely. I, I have to keep them on their toes. It's the only way they're going to be able to make sure that they get things done. Again, Nelson Roosevelt coming out of the dark of the mechanical room. Exactly. <laughs> you get those two hours done in the morning where mm -hmm. you've kind of done your basic check. What happens after there? After that, I try to find an opportunity to try to catch up on some of the paperwork. Because not only is it the front line, you know, making sure that everything's actually being carried out 
out as we are expecting. But then it's the administrative side. It's also making sure that the paperwork is in order, responding to emails and that nature. But then the second half of the job kicks in, where is the fire and life safety aspect? So once the museum is occupied, I take off the building operations hat and put on the fire and life safety hat. Because now if there's a medical emergency or some sort of emergency that's going to require either medical assistance or police or something of that nature, I have to respond along with a few other individuals from security. What kind of stuff typically are you doing at that point? What's, what's it, it could be anything from someone choking or, mm-hmm. or someone feeling faint or mm-hmm. someone passing out in a, in a gallery. Unfortunately, our worst scenario was we've had somebody drop dead on us with a massive heart attack in the lobby. Oof. Ironically, he happened to be a heart doctor. Wait, seriously? I'm very serious. <laughs> Jesus. So what, did you, what do you do when the heart doctor drops dead? In that particular case, we, we become actors and we keep it going, making it look good until the medical emergency is arriving. They take over. We have defibrillators. The defibrillator is going to tell us if it's getting a response or not. If that defibrillator is saying there's no response, no response, you just can't just say, oh, well, he's gone. Let him go. You got to continue to do the CPR. You got to play the part until the EMS arrives and then they take over. When you say play the part, are you saying that you're just kind of pumping away at this well, guy? Well, we're not to, a doctor. Yeah. We can't decide, but we're just simply going by what the machine is telling us. Okay, so you, you keep defibrillating, hoping something happens. Hoping that the machine is going to sense a pulse and, and yeah. try to shock them. Were, were, you you personal, were you personally the one doing that? There? No, no, I was no, not. No. Were you like watching over? Watching at the time. Yeah, and yet who was like some staff member? or who was... We were, I was doing crowd control at the time because you can just imagine if it's in the middle of the lobby, someone's dropping, everybody's running around. It's it's. Yeah, what was the crowd doing? Oh, the crowd is watching, standing around. And as with typical, everybody's yeah. whipping out their phones. <laughs> so you it. can just imagine. He died for the gram. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Ironically, it was it was almost 15 years ago. Okay, it was, okay, pretty... it was our first week that we opened the museum. Oh, wow. Oh, the new building. The new building that was back how... in 2004. New-ish building. That's how you christened it. It was with a, a exactly. massive heart attack. Okay, so that's the sort of emergency that, that you'd be, be called in for. What kind of fire stuff are you worried about? There may be a time where a, a motor may burn out in an air conditioning unit, which then creates a smoke condition, and then we have to take necessary measures and such as maybe evacuating or partially evacuating some galleries or possibly even an entire building. You've had to do that? No, not yet. Never had to. Galleries have you ever had to? Galleries, yes. For noxious odors or, or smoke conditions or something to that where we've shut down galleries, yes. Are you kind of waiting in an office for like the calls to come in at this point or are you where you want with a walkie-talkie? What are you? I, I walk with the radio. I walk with the cell phone and I believe that my job requires me to be on the front line. So therefore, I don't have the luxury of being able to sit in an office all day long. Because if I'm in an office, I'm not aware as to what's going on and how things are are being conducted. I'm very proud to say that I could not perform my job if I didn't have the staff that I have. They're very competent. They all wear their hearts on their sleeves and they're very, they're very committed to the mission in what we all have here. And that's where we take such great pride of where we work. For example, I went on vacation a few years ago and down in the Bahamas, I happened to just be at the bar or whatever, having a drink with my wife and the kids. And I mean, we're on vacation, enjoying the time. And the guy comes out and was talking up and he says, oh my God, you were, I told him where I work. He's like, you would think that I was like, Teddy Roosevelt, the president, (laughs) the guy thought that I was the greatest thing on this earth. I'm like, relax, it's just a museum, it's another building. And he called his wife over, and he called everybody from the family over just to introduce them to me, like if I was the president. I'm like, no, stop. It's But at the end of the day, I realized, I said, wow, how many other people get that opportunity? What did you do before you were at MoMA? 
Okay, I actually worked for a janitorial company for a few years, but before that I was working for internal affairs as well, Department of Investigation. Uh, like NYPD? Undercover, undercover investigations for the city of New York, which we investigated all other city agencies with the exception of NYPD. At the exception of NYPD. Exception of NYPD. So you were internal affairs. Investigating firemen, sanitation, Department of Transportation, corrections. And then you went over to janitorial. Uh, I janitorial went to property company. management, worked with a property management firm, and then decided to give that up, go into the janitorial field. Coincidentally, the janitorial provider who was providing the services to the museum during the transition phase was the company that I was working with. And when the museum opened up in 2004, they felt that with the passion that I implied with the responsibilities of my role, that if I had applied them here, that they would be a better place. So that's why I was offered the opportunity. In fact, I think it was only myself that was interviewed for the position. So and when you say janitorial, well, like, you were like in management at the company. Absolutely okay? yeah, right. So you I were overseeing logistics and stuff. A general manager for janitorial yeah. provider. And so I'm wondering, though, do you ever find yourself using your internal affairs skills? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, How? in what sense? For example... One Other the, than ambushing people in the dark, no. Of, one of the things that I, one of the things that I was trained to do was to always listen to what people don't say. So when you kind of get someone in a situation and you, you kind of know, or you may think that you know the answers, that's when my non-listening skills kick in. I want to hear what he's not saying. What he's what what topic is he avoiding? Huh? Intriguing. I'm trying to think what you're avoiding right now. <laughs> it says. <laughs> What are you? You'll have what, to find out. What are you dancing around at the moment? What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash working. Rules and restrictions may apply. So can you give me an example of that? With the, the, the staff in which I'm managing, they're entrusted to go and work within secured areas. For example, MoMA has some elaborate functions here, you know, that are very high end and catering hall and all of the liquor is stored in the building. So everything from as small as stealing bottles of liquor, I've had to terminate people on. And it's... You know it's picked up at point A and supposed to be dropped off at point B, and there was only two people with the cart. You don't need Sherlock Holmes for that. But it's just inevitably, 
nobody is going to just own up to it and say, yes, I did it. You know, they're going to try to weasel their way out of it. And that's where you have to just pick up on their body language. And Interesting. So that's part of your role is making sure the staff actually are, you know, performing right. performing and not, you know, breaking any rules. Or that's, a, I assume, kind of a low end infraction. What's like a higher end infraction you can get? I won't even have to be bothered with that. That's where security comes that's, in. That's where that's, security. That's where I, I make the phone call and I call the security department and say, this is for you. So you have to be worried about who's working for you and be careful oh, absolutely. about that. Also within the space and what spaces that they're working in. For example, the staff is in working around the artwork by themselves. And... Anything from whipping a cord when you're waxing the floors that can damage the artwork, you'd be surprised that curatorial is going to find out something's damaged. And then it's, okay, now you backtrack and say, who was the last ones around it? And that's where we find out. And you have to actually go and be the one to figure out. Well, whenever it involves the janitorial staff, Mm -hmm. the security department will ask me to be involved with them. So cleaning a museum is a really delicate process. Absolutely. It's it's quite a unique, I don't don't, want to say talent, but it does... it's a rare breed. Anybody can manage and clean a, in a, a commercial building. What's different about it other than the fact that there's, you know, $100 million paintings on the wall? Or is that just like, how does you that... You it all. Yeah, so how does that, I guess, how does that change the way you have to go about the managing it or cleaning well, this place? the biggest thing is just always, always, always reminding the staff of being aware of their surroundings yeah. at all times. Even you would think of cleaning a bathroom, ah, you won't have to worry. But even when they're cleaning bathrooms, they're yeah. in the public. And what's said can be misunderstood and taken out of context. And... Because they're around. They're going they're around. Exactly. Yeah. The physical stuff, like a whipping a cord. How often does stuff like that actually happen? Quite often. Yeah. There's Quite like, often. Something gets whacked or... Well, no, we try not to, but <laughs> you, you do find people that come in. Replacements. For example, like I said earlier, we have a dedicated staff. There's 36 janitorial providers that are in the building. Mm-hmm. However, not all of them perform the same functions as... Mm-hmm. They each do. Some are strictly doing laboratories, some are working in the galleries, some are cleaning offices. So it all varies. And as someone who's not used to cleaning the galleries is in Correct. there. Correct. Might... I would not at any point take somebody who's cleaning offices and put them into clean galleries. They okay. just wouldn't understand. And, and the liability is just too immense. And that's the kind of thing you have to be thinking about. Absolutely. I have to think about that all the time. I, I guess, yeah, because if you're like cleaning too, you're like you zone out. Like, it's uh, yeah, you're not but, thinking about it. But what I tell everybody is, if I see dirt in front of me in the obvious, then I don't even need their supervisors. I'm looking for the dirt behind the cardboard, in the corners, in the cracks, in the crevices. Stuff that, you know what, you got to get, you have to eliminate it. Otherwise, it's just going to linger and it's going to find another home. You said that the humidity level is very important. That you have to keep this building very carefully temperature controlled. That is correct. Is that different than like other buildings? Absolutely. Is it, so, so how is it? What do you have to do that's different to keep a museum? Well, for example, right? our air temperature is seventy to seventy-two degrees, fluctuates by two to four degrees plus or minus, and then our relative humidity is at fifty to fifty-two percent plus or minus a few degrees. While it's two degrees below zero outside. Yeah. It's still seventy degrees with a fifty percent relative humidity inside that gallery. So. It takes an enormous amount of mechanics and mechanical systems to be able to maintain that. So is this just like a souped up HVAC? Like what is it that you've got going here in the museum? Like what kind of systems are there? Well, we have four huge chillers and cooling towers on the roof. Uh, Just about every floor has an HVAC unit. Um, Below grade we have where those are the bigger units that are serving the galleries. It's a technologically complex cooling system or heating cooling system. Very and who's monitoring that usually? Do you have like a dedicated... We have two engineers that by law are at that computer 
24 hours a day. Dedicated engineers. Dedicated engineers. Is that, is that typical? Engineers. Is that typical for like an office building having something like no, that? No, nothing to that extent. Why? By law, why do you have to have them there? Because we have high pressure steam in the building. So what is Con, high pressure? Con Edison yeah. provides us with steam of up to two hundred pounds square inch, and okay. we have to get it down to under twenty. And what is that high pressure steam for? Like, what is it? That's what's hum- humidification for the galleries. That's how we're adding the humidification ah. through steam. So you have a special steam system that comes into the building, and you actually have to have We have Con Edison provide yeah. us steam from the street into yeah. the building at just about 200, 250 pounds per square inch, and we have to get that down to a more controllable, manageable that we can then add it into the HVAC units to then add the relative humidity into the galleries. What can go wrong with a system like that? A lot. Like, you give me some examples. Someone can get burned very bad. And steam with high-pressure steam, you can just imagine high-pressure steam, if you have a steam leak, it can cut somebody in half. But what? High-pressure steam can literally cut somebody in half. Really? That's right. I, I'm going to assume that's never happened. But Absolutely like, not. Well, at least maybe like in a subway tunnel or something. But I'm not. sure somewhere. Yeah, some, but... But when the yeah, steam, it's, it's... So you guys have to control that very carefully. Very carefully. And that's where we make sure that only the licensed engineers are the ones touching anything with that. What other kind of like weird souped up stuff do you have going up? Like systems in this building do you have? We have our fire and life safety system. When it was first installed back 10, no, let's go 15 years ago, it was the most complex, most detailed fire and life safety system in the city up until the Time Warner Center came. What is a fire and life safety system? That is essentially the brain of the smoke detectors, the sprinklers, it monitors all our elevators. It's in the event, it's the notification system that's going to notify us if there's any smoke conditions or any emergencies in the building. It's the alert system. It's the warning system. Absolutely. And what made it so advanced or complex? Well, first of all, you have to factor in the fact that we have thousands and thousands of guests, some of which don't even speak the English language. So therefore, by just any alarm or anybody setting off an alarm, you can create fear and panic. That's my biggest fear, is to have fear and panic amongst the like public. a stampede or something. Exactly. Okay. Because at that point, I lost everybody. I, I've lost total control. So the system is designed to avoid that. So therefore, no matter what system alarm comes into our complex, where it is in the building, we have the capabilities of what we call day mode and night mode. Day mode is to avoid panic and fear. So therefore, any signaling that comes in for any type of alarm throughout the entire complex is going into one room and only one room. That person will then be responsible to dispatch a brigade to investigate it. Once it's confirmed, and only then will we set off the sounds and the alarms throughout the rest of the complex because of the fact that we want to avoid that fear. However, that's when we're occupied and during the day. Now you flip the switch and at night when we only have maybe 100 people in the building or in the complex, I don't have that luxury. So therefore, I want to do the reverse. I want to get the signal out. I want everybody to know. So when we switch the system to night mode, this place will light up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It just goes. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's it, sounds yeah. and lights throughout four buildings flashing. See, that sounds like an installation. It, it looks like a Christmas tree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When, when you're seeing it from outside yeah. with all the different lights and the strobe lights flashing. Yeah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. So I got to ask, were you an art guy at all before you came to this job? Never. Yeah. I had no interest in art, nothing at all. My son is the artist. Oh, yeah? What, what does he do? He's He just loves to draw and loves to just freehand draw. Cool, cool. So you had no interest in art whatsoever. None but whatsoever. But it was a big, complicated building. And that, I saw it as a challenge. Yeah. And I love challenges in life. Have you become more of an art guy over time, would you say? You've... Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. Yeah? I stopped asking. <laughs> <laughs> what about clearing out the building? I'm always curious about that. I feel like getting guests out of a museum at the end of the day has to be... Nobody ever wants to leave. Yeah. Is that like... Yeah, exactly. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Is that like a constant struggle? Yes. (laughs) Tell me about it. Security does an an amazing job at it. But if you can just imagine, it's a long day. Everybody wants to go home. And for some reason, the guests want to stay here to the very last minute. So security has to start on the upper floors and they sweep the entire floor. The supervisor will go into every closet, every bathroom... Every room, absolutely make sure that the floor is clear before they dispatch off of that floor and then come down to the next floor. So the goal is that by the time they reach the first floor, the building is entirely clear. Do people usually like linger past the time it's supposed to close? Is that something that is? Uh, is that often? We've had those. We've even had people that we wind up scratching our head and say, where the hell were you at? Yeah. How did you stay here? Yeah. Well, like, yeah, I was going to say, do you ever just like find someone hiding? Or, well, like... not hiding, but we've had people that get lost, wind up in stairwells. They have no clue as to where the hell they're going. Walk in, they see a door, they just push it open, and they think they're going to go in. And, just... and we'll find them an hour or two later when they're stuck in there and they're banging on doors. <laughs> What other kind of things come up in the course of the day for you? You're making sure the building's the right temperature. You're making sure it's clean. You're making sure people are doing their jobs right, that the mechanics are working. What else oh, are you monitoring? Trying to make sure that we don't have any outside visitors, or unwanted visitors. And what I mean by that is birds. Birds. You'd be surprised. You can't put the two together, right? Yeah, what? Exactly. Yeah. That's how I feel when I find birds in the building. How many birds do you find in the building? How are they even getting in? That's the big question that we always try to find out. But what we tend to realize is that they will just piggyback. Somebody has a door open and the bird just coincidentally flew right in. I guess, yeah. And it's the most funniest thing ever when you see so many people with with nets trying to catch this bird and not trying to kill it or harm it. It's is it mostly just a pigeons comedy. or is it? No, it's sparrows, pigeons, a, a lot of um, migratory birds that are coming through. And un- unfortunately, because of our garden, the way it's structured, it's just a giant piece of glass around the inside. Yeah. With the sun reflecting off of it, a lot of the birds, what they wind up doing is they knock the glass as they're flying. They'll fly right into it. And I always tell them, I always ask my staff, what's the last thing on that bird's mind? His ass. <laughs> <laughs> Do they ever make it to the galleries? Yes. Well, no. I've never had a. I've had birds fly into the atrium. I've had birds in the mez area. We've even had a bat. You had a bat. A bat flying around the mez. Yeah. And it was the funniest story ever because if you can just imagine, we had a senior director jumping around with a net in his hand trying to catch the bat, and it was just <laughs> comical. It was just total comical. So th- did they catch it? No. He outsmarted <laughs> us all. <laughs> 
Do you know if he's still here? No, nah, nah. we got he's <laughs> long gone. That was years ago. Okay. You never we know. We got him into the shaft, the elevator shaft, and we were hoping that he got out of there. I've been told that dust is uh, an issue in your day-to-day life. Well, we had an exhibition here approximately two years ago where we had an artist come up with this crazy idea of how much dust can be collected within a public space. And as if I just sat here with you for an hour telling you my level of expectations with cleanliness, and you can imagine how I had to walk and see dust for six months and watch it laugh at me and torture me. Where where was it collecting? What? It was collecting in certain areas. For example, there's the, the ledge that overlooks the, the atrium on the fourth floor mm-hmm. from the um, fourth floor permanent collection gallery. There's, a, there's two ledges there. And we clean them just about every three weeks to four weeks because of the amount of dust that just circulates. And I was forced for six months to let it sit there and laugh at me. But it was ju- was it just that space or the whole museum? It was throughout the entire museum. Oh, God. And it was an audio guide tour where they actually instructed our guest where to go look for dust. It killed me. <laughs> it killed me. I wanted to kill the artist. Oof. As the guy managing this building, what's like the secret room that you think people would be most interested in hearing about? Like, what's the the most obscure, strange, interesting place in it? If I tell you, I'd have to kill you. Really? That's the way we keep it secret. Is there like a vault or something? No. <laughs> uh, my guess the most would be the steam alley. That's the one area that people don't necessarily realize is the most dangerous because of the fact of what I said earlier, that the high-pressure steam is coming through there, but that's a corridor of the building that stretches almost the entire city block, but yet nobody goes in there. So given that you're not really an art guy, or you know, describe yourself as an art guy, I, I am curious to hear your answer to this. I've been asking everyone at the end of the interviews, what is actually your favorite piece of art or thing at MoMA? There's only one. The Ferrari. The Ferrari? The big red Ferrari on the wall. But where's the Ferrari? In the education building so that I can drive off with it one day. <laughs> I want to rip it off the wall and drive off. That's... It's a Formula One race car Ferrari. Oh, that's like for like... Oh, that's one of like the design departments. Absolutely. That, uh, but it's up on the wall. Yeah. I see I used your statement yeah, on you. Yeah, no, you're right. You were thinking an art piece, a piece of art, a Picasso or someone of those art. Oh, nope. We talked to... We I talked want the to, Ferrari. We talked to the collection specialist uh, who, for, Shh, for design. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, well, hey, you're the one who's got to be looking out for this. Our security is really the one looking out for it. But he, he considers it art. Absolutely. So, Somebody had to think of it to design that piece. Exactly. All right, man. This has been a lot of fun. Thank Likewise. you for coming to chat. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you have questions or comments, send me an email at working at slate.com. I do love hearing from y'all. Working is produced by Jessamine Molly. And a special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman. Join us next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.